Welcome to church. If I haven't met you, my name's Dave. I am on staff. Let's put this stuff down. I'm on staff here as the music minister, and it really is a great privilege to be able to preach on this great passage this morning. But before I do, um, why don't you pray with me that God would open up our hearts and minds to speak to us by His Spirit today. So would you join me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we believe that it has power to transform us. They aren't just words on a page. They are your words speaking to us. And so, Lord, humble us that we may hear from you this morning. Amen. Amen. I became a Christian when I was 15 years old. I went on a summer camp, was blown away by how the leaders loved me, even though I was a so-and-so. And uh, I was just blown away by how they loved me and I just loved this Christian community. So I joined a youth group. God had opened my eyes and I'd begun my journey following Jesus. I became a keen Bible study member and churchgoer. But I must admit that when it came to being a Christian at school, I really struggled. At the age of 15, I was really concerned with people liking me, really concerned with being cool. There weren't that many Christians at my school and the ones that were there, I felt, were complete nerds. So I had nothing to do with them. When friends of mine asked me, are you like those guys? Are you in the Christian group? I would say no. I really just didn't want to be associated with those guys. I thought they were boring and really uncool as opposed to me who partied with my friends and was cool, or so I thought. I felt a highlight for me was when one of my friends who wasn't a Christian said, Dave, you are definitely the coolest Christian I know. Now at the time I was really happy my friend thought this about me. However, I slowly began to realise that this comment had diagnosed something pretty serious that was going on in my life. I was compromising as a Christian. It became clear that being cool and partying with my friends and rejecting my Christian brothers meant that I was actually rejecting Jesus by my words and by my actions. I wonder, can anyone here relate to this? Have you ever done something like this? Have you ever said one thing and done the other? Have you ever been ashamed of somebody or rejected somebody? Well, this morning we're going to see Peter, we're going to look at this character, Peter, reject Jesus. We're going to see Peter, the great apostle Peter, Peter who wrote books of the Bible, fall flat on his face in failure and reject Jesus. And together we're going to discover that even though we all reject Jesus, our failure isn't final. Now throughout this journey we're going to be asking two questions. How does Peter reject Jesus? And how does Peter respond to his failure? Okay, so how does Peter reject Jesus? And how does he respond to his failure? And after we've looked at those questions, we might look at all of this might mean for you and I today. Okay, but before we dive into those questions, let's get a little background on Peter. Now, if you've been hanging around church for a little while, you probably know a little bit about him. Well, Peter was a fisherman, a businessman. We're told uh, early on in Luke's Gospel that Jesus approaches Peter at his place of work, helps him catch a miraculous boatload of fish and afterwards says, Peter, 
Instead of catching fish, you will catch men. Peter then leaves the hired man, the boats, the nets, his family business and follows Jesus. For the next three years, Peter follows Jesus around as his student. Peter sees him heal people, cast out demons, preach and teach many times about the kingdom of God, raise a little girl back to life, walk on water and see him transfigured on a mountain with Elijah and Moses. When Jesus asked all the disciples, who do you think I am? Peter was the first to reply, you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one that we've been waiting for. Peter experienced a lot with Jesus. It's pretty safe to say that they were close. You could even say they were best friends. Peter also has one of these personalities that tends to get you into trouble. He has what some people call foot-in-mouth disease, which my wife says apparently I can completely relate to. It's that wonderful skill where you say the words before your brain has time to process if this is going to be a good thing to say. Okay, so there's some background on Peter. However, if you were listening to the Bible reading, you know that there is unfortunately more to Peter's story. Peter ends up denying that he ever knew Jesus. Which brings us to our first point. How does Peter reject Jesus? Now pretty soon, we're going to be looking really closely at those eight verses, uh, the passage that was read to us. But before we do, we're going to briefly look earlier in this chapter in Luke and see that Peter rejecting Jesus was not an isolated incident. It wasn't something that happened in a vacuum, but it was a sad culmination of downward steps Peter took into sin. And we're going to see that each of these steps, there are three steps, each of these steps serves as a warning to you and I today. Okay, so three steps Peter took and therefore three warnings for you and I to heed today. The first, first step of rejection begins in the upper room that same night. Jesus and all the disciples are gathered in the upper room for the Last Supper. Just after Jesus teaches his followers how to remember him in celebrating communion, Jesus issues Peter with a warning. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. This is a really sobering warning for Peter. I mean, this translation of sift you like wheat might mean in our speech today, Satan has asked to tear you apart. That's a scary thing to hear from Jesus, don't you think? I mean, think about it. How would you have replied? How should Peter have replied? Really? Lord, I'm afraid. Please pray with me. Or, you're right. I am weak. Please help me, Jesus. But he doesn't, does he? He says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And with those words, Peter begins his slide into spiritual disaster, his first step towards him falling apart. Others might have a problem with this, but not me. Not with this temptation. I've got this one all sorted. Instead of humbly admitting that he's weak and he struggles with this, he's full of boasting and pride. Jesus knows what will happen though, doesn't he? And he replies by telling him, even before the day is out, you're going to deny me three times. Can anyone here relate 
to Peter's words. This boastfulness, this pridefulness, thinking our own strength will be enough. I sure can. How easy is it to think that if that were me, I never would have done that? I think the, re- I think the reality is that all of us can relate. We have all rejected Jesus, but our failure isn't final. Peter's second step of rejection happens shortly after the Last Supper. Jesus takes his disciples to the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, and then taking uh, his three closest friends with him a little further, he asks Peter, James and John to pray that they won't fall into temptation. We looked at this last week with Dave Fell. Jesus then knowing what is about to happen on the cross, pours out his heart to God the Father in prayer. But Peter and the others don't pray, do they? They fall asleep. Now, it's been a long night and I'm sure they're exhausted, but Jesus, knowing the hard times that are just around the corner, stresses to them their need for prayer. And they fail. They fall asleep. At a time when they're going to be utterly tested, they give in. Does anyone here at times struggle with prayer? Fail to see the importance of prayer sometimes? Fail to see our desperate need for supernatural strength? Peter has rejected Jesus by failing to recognise his need for dependence on God through prayer. And we have all rejected Jesus, but our failure isn't final. Right after this, Judas the betrayer brings the temple guards to arrest Jesus. Now, probably confused after waking up from his nap and obviously scared by being surrounded by soldiers, we're told Peter pulls out his sword and takes a hopelessly bad-aimed swing at one of the soldiers, cutting off his ear. Now, amidst the confusion, Jesus heals the man and says, No more of this. In the Gospel of John, it's recorded that Jesus also says to Peter, Shall I not drink the cup? The Father has given me. And here we see Peter's third step of rejection. Now Peter's been with with Jesus for three years and for a great deal of that time, Jesus has been teaching them that he is the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, and that he must suffer and die. But Peter and the other disciples, they just, they don't get this, do they? They just can't understand. How can their long-awaited Jewish king suffer and die it just doesn't make sense and maybe for some of us it doesn't make sense I mean it doesn't sound very impressive does it the one we worship and adore is the one who suffers and dies Peter rejects Jesus by failing to understand his mission what he's all about what he came to do that he must suffer and die to save him and the rest of humanity. And we have all rejected Jesus, but our failure isn't final. Jesus is arrested and taken away to the house of the high priest. Now, most of the other disciples at this point have legged it. They have fled the scene. But Peter just can't bring himself to abandon Jesus just yet. And that brings us to our passage for today. So, long introduction. But now we're going to be looking closely at these eight verses. So if you do have your Bible there, um, bring it out and we're going to be reading it together. I'm going to start from verse 55. If you don't, don't worry, just listen up. The 
I'm going to read from verse 55. Here we go. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. Okay, so here we have Peter following at a distance, keeping to himself, hoping not to be recognised. And he's ended up in the courtyard of the house of the high priest. Now, most large, significant homes in Jerusalem were built around this sort of central open courtyard. It's a cold evening in Jerusalem, so some of the servants of the high priest have built a fire. And Peter, cold as he was, is now warming himself by the fire. But Peter, now illuminated by the firelight, is spotted by a servant girl. She looks closely at him, scrutinises him, and she recognises him. You don't know really how, but she recognises him, that he's been hanging out with Jesus, and she calls him out. Now, it's important to know that this accusation doesn't come from a soldier or a guard or some sort of official, but it comes from a servant girl. Now, women back then could not have brought a formal charge against a man, let alone a servant girl, so this threat is hardly very real to Peter. I mean, that's all it took for a guy that's been hanging around with Jesus for three years That's all it took, an accusation from a servant girl to lose it. But Peter is feeling the pressure here, isn't he? Fear and embarrassment get the better of him. Woman, I don't know him. The words come out quickly. The first disciple to recognise who Jesus really is has now denied knowing him at all. I'm sure all of us can relate to this somehow. All of us can remember a time when, like me at school, we fail to be counted as a follower of Jesus. Let's keep reading, verse 58. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. Okay, someone else gets in Peter's face and clearly and publicly claims that Peter is a disciple of Jesus, not just that he knows Jesus or that he's been hanging around with them a little bit, standing in the background listening to his teaching, but that he is a disciple, a close follower of Jesus. And you can really feel the weight bearing down on Peter now, can't you? And he's close to cracking. In the first denial, Peter claims to not know Jesus at all. In this second denial, Peter sadly claims that he has nothing to do with the other disciples either, his closest friends. Let's continue reading verse 59. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Now most commentators agree that it was possibly Peter's clothes that gave him away, but most probably his Galilean accent, sounding like Jesus because they came from the same region. But Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. An hour after the second denial, another person, most probably one of many in a group, bring this charge against Peter and this time they're more certain. This time they've got some evidence. They've heard him speaking and they're convinced that Peter is connected to Jesus. Why else would a Galilean be present at the fire so close to where Jesus is being questioned? 
this charge is brought against Peter and he crumbles. Peter, the rock, which is what his name means, is shattered. Jesus' prediction comes true and the rooster crows three times. Verse 61. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Peter rejects Jesus because of his pride, because of his failure to accept his need for prayer and because of his failure to understand the gospel that Jesus must suffer and die. And it culminates in an all-out denial of Jesus in this moment. Peter is now a broken man. The failure of, of Peter is complete. And this is a really sad story, isn't it? I mean, don't you think? It's really sad. If the story ended here, it would be utterly tragic. But it doesn't. Praise God that it doesn't. Which brings us to our last point. How does Peter respond to his failure? After Peter is broken, after he has been exposed, after the pressure was all too much for him, he leaves the courtyard and weeps bitterly. Peter is grieved by what he's done. But here's a question. What else did he feel? You know, what kind of tears were they? He was obviously sad, but what else did he feel? You know, Judas also rejected Jesus. He betrayed Jesus, handing him over to the authorities, and he ended up feeling absolutely terrible for what he'd done. But his bad feelings led him to feel nothing more than worldly despair, worldly remorse, sorry, plunging him into despair which led him to take his own life. Feeling bad about something, it's just not enough. And we can see the hopeless places it can lead to. We now know the rest of Peter's story. And we know that Peter's tears were tears of repentance. After he weeps bitterly, after he's broken after he leaves the courtyard, after he weeps bitterly, we know that he rejoins the other disciples. He rejoins his Christian community. His brokenness doesn't lead him to take his own life. His repentance leads him to forgiveness and restoration. In the Gospel of John, after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus meets Peter on a beach and he forgives him and he restores him. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. He forgives him and he restores him. You know, while being a sad story, this certainly is, it's also a great story of encouragement, don't you think? Peter, after rejecting Jesus, is restored by Jesus and is used in a mighty way. He is not disqualified by his sin. And that applies to us too. Listen to this. You 
are not disqualified from God using you because of your sin. If you have ever blown it, if you have ever fallen flat on your face in failure, you're in good company. At this church, we recognise that if God wanted to use people who had it all worked out, people who had never stuffed it, he'd be working only with himself. We recognise that. At this church, we do not shoot our wounded, but by God's grace, we nurse each other back to health. This church is a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for smug saints. After Peter is restored, he receives the Holy Spirit and preaches an amazing sermon at Pentecost where 3,000 people are saved. The truth is that God uses imperfect people like Peter, like you and like me to accomplish his perfect plan. That's who God is. Peter does reject Jesus. We've seen it. But his failure is not the end of his story. His failure is not final. What does all of this mean for us today? We all reject Jesus. But our failure does not have to be the end of our story. Our failure does not have to be final. When you sin, when you fail, when you reject Jesus, how will you respond? Will you feel sad? Will you feel bad about it? Will you just feel remorse for what you've done? Or will you repent and seek forgiveness? Will you repent, seek forgiveness and run to Jesus? Why should you run to Jesus? Let me tell you why. You see, while Jesus is being beaten, mocked and tortured by the soldiers, at the very same time, Peter is outside in the courtyard denying that he ever knew him three times. And right when he denies him the third time, Jesus looks at Peter. Jesus looks at Peter. What a moment. But here's a question. What was in that look? What was in that look between Jesus and Peter? Was it judgment? Was it condemnation? Was it, I can't believe you have failed me like this. How could you? No. In this moment, Jesus, as he is being beaten, tortured and mocked by the soldiers, he chooses to remember his friend, Peter. His look is one of love and forgiveness. Jesus knew that Peter would do this, didn't he? Remember? The same night Jesus predicted it. Jesus knew that Peter would do this. And he looks at his friend with love and compassion. And that's not all. After his last friend abandoned him, Jesus still goes to the cross. This is ridiculous. After all of his friends have left him for dead, he still goes to the cross to lay down his life for those that have abandoned him. That's why you should run to Jesus. Now, in this moment, if Jesus was anything like me, he would have said, that's it. 
I'm done. I am not going to suffer and die for the likes of you. I'm not going to bear this humiliation, hang on a cross for people that not only don't like me, but people that have turned their backs on me and have rejected me outright. I'm not going to do this for you. But thank God, Jesus is nothing like me. You see, the reason that our failures aren't final is because Jesus is faithful. I want you to hear that this morning. The reason that our failures aren't final is not because you or I are faithful, but it's because Jesus is faithful. Jesus knew that Peter would fail and Jesus knows that we've failed and he knows that we will fail. You see, get this into your head. Jesus knows you intimately and still loves you completely. Right? Jesus knows you better than your mum, better than your spouse, better than your best friend. And he loves you more than they ever could. Now, you know when you first start dating someone and uh, you're putting your best foot forward, trying to hide your, some of your less flattering habits or characteristics, trying to delay them finding out about your weird doll collection or your bizarre toenail collection until you think they like you enough to bear that weight of knowledge. You might know what I'm talking about. Well, don't bother doing that with Jesus. You see, Jesus knows you, absolutely and completely knows you. He knows all the sin that is currently lurking around in your heart. He knows all of the denial and the rejection that has been in your life and every denial, rejection and sin that you are going to do. And with this knowledge, complete knowledge in his mind, what does he do with it? He goes to the cross. You see, Jesus isn't some naive parent who doesn't really know what's going on in our lives. He knows every single thing about you and yet still went to the cross to save every single one of us. That is an incredible thought. With all this knowledge, he goes to the cross and is nailed to it. He gave up his life willingly so that our failures would not be final the final word is Jesus. Now, Peter denies Jesus, right? Does he deserve punishment? Yeah, he does. Now, I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we've all denied and rejected Jesus. Do we deserve punishment? Yeah, we do. But instead of getting what we deserve, instead of getting punishment, we receive an offer of forgiveness. What? And that's the gospel. That is the good news. That is the good news we have to share. That's the good news we have to encourage each other with every morning as we meet on a Sunday morning. That's the good news. That's the good news we have to share to this community of Manly. That our failures do not have to be final because our failure is not the final word. Jesus is. You see, we have a debt and it's been paid on our behalf. Why don't I pray and ask that God would make us more and more thankful for what he has done for us. Would you pray with me? Father God, thanks for your word, Lord. We just pray that we'll leave here more grateful for what you've done. And Jesus, we know that you are more than just a good example to follow but that you are our great saviour. 
who has gone to the cross, even though we've all rejected you, you still went to the cross and you offer us new life. Father, may this change our hearts and we pray that if our hearts do not feel softened, would you please break them so that we would be more thankful for what you've done. Amen. Amen.